Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the rest of the sermon. Man, we are so glad to be back. Um, We weren't here last week. We took a little break and just a little in-house announcement. If you guys were looking for the podcast this week um, from the sermon at Westside, we had a little bit of technical difficulties, and so there's no official podcast of the sermon. But what you can do is you can go to our Facebook page, and you can actually check out the entire live stream of that service, and the sermon is on there. So little technical difficulties, but it's all good. And so what I've been doing over these past couple of weeks is I've been having conversations with people I like talking to. Imagine that, talking to people that you like talking to. So you've got to hear some incredible stories um, and meet some really incredible people. And this week, you get to meet one of my favorite people on the entire earth who's known in the Tri-County area. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Parker Williams. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) So you've had Matt Dell. Yep, Matt Dell on. And Adam Dell. Right. And what was it, Adele this week? (laughs) That's what Matt Vidal said. He said, so we need Adele. And then he said somebody else. There was another Dell that was supposed to be on or something like that. So you may turn your headphones down. Just a little bit, yeah. Awesome, cool. And what's yours? I don't remember. I think you're three or something like that. Okay, cool. How do I know this board better than you do? Absolutely. Because I have no idea about any of this stuff. So, yeah, you probably need me down in your headphones. Yeah, yeah, you got your. Parker, how are you, man? Good, bro. How are you? I'm doing really, really, really well. You uh, had an exciting week last week. Finally. 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 I've turned, just like I did my bachelor's degree. Yes. A uh, four year degree into six years. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe longer. uh, Graduated (laughs) finally from Fuller. Fuller Fuller Theological Seminary Mm -hmm. in Pasadena. Pasadena is their main campus. Yeah. Incredible. So tell the people you graduated from Fuller Mm -hmm. with what, in what? It's an MA in theology and Anglican communion studies. Yes. So it was fun. Yeah. I can't wait to just great. ask. I want to know about what every one of those words mean, you know, in light of that. I'm still learning. About that, so. <laughs> but I want to back up. I want the people, um, we've got obviously people from Westside who are listening mm-hmm. to this know who you are. They've seen you. But we've got people who listen who, who might not know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have been friends for, we're probably getting up on a decade. We're close. Getting yep. close to a decade, mm-hmm. which is really cool tell the people um who you are you're sort of a boot heel kid yep and uh if if we're this is what i said to matt bedell if we're in trump tower and it's an elevator pitch and we're going to trump's top floor i want to know who you are yeah i don't really want to do that when are you going to grow your hair back out <laughs> Never. Oh, come on. So we, I told you I'm going to sabotage this thing one step of the way, and we're going to turn this more into Jason. Parker was in charge of when we were at Westside putting together um, a COVID survey. Oh, yeah. Basically, if yeah, people yeah, like yeah. coming back, it was when we were opening back up, and it was a survey of like, hey, are you comfortable just getting a pulse of the people? And Parker was in charge of putting this together. And so he put a list of questions together, and question number seven was, would you want Jason to grow his hair back? It was overwhelming. It was was, like a 90%. And Jason has so far uh, rejected the demands of the people. So, well, and I think I'm my, I don't know if I can. 
at one point. I think I'm balding on kind Even of the better. top in an area. No, yeah, for no. sure. I've seen that beard too. Like yeah. you just need to let that thing go. Yeah, I could. I could let the beard go, but I don't know if Courtney would approve. I actually that. put that into we, when we were rewriting your job description years ago. I put it in your job description for too. my hair, my beard. I don't remember which both. one. Probably Something both. Like that, yeah. <laughs> so. Parker, where are you from? Right here in Popper Bluff. Right here in uh, Popper Bluff, Missouri. Born and raised. Nice. Went to Joplin for about six years, as I said. Turned a four-year degree into a six-year degree. Nice. Similar to you. They asked me not to come back at one point. Did so, so. well, asked you not to come back. Yep, yep. When you were growing up here in Popper Bluff, home church? I grew up at First Baptist. Very cool. Good people, there. great mm-hmm. church. Yep, awesome. Yep. And then went off to school at Joplin. Ozark Christian College. Ozark Christian yeah. College. Met Did some it. incredible people there. Incredible place. It yes. really is. They're celebrating their 79th anniversary last week of being an institution. So, Very cool. And and yeah. what was, um, now you were a part of a, a friend was planning a church there in Joplin, but Randy Garris, what was that church that oh, was formative for with you? with Randy, yeah. So Randy came a few years ago to Westside here yep. and, and, and has really spoken a lot into the church. So when I was in Joplin... Um, obviously, being at a Bible college, you're around pastors all the time, sure. and the pastors that, that were uh, doing a lot there in that community spent a lot of time at Ozark discipling folks. And so, College Heights Christian Church, yes. right next to the university, was a, 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 a I assume still yeah, a very good sized church there, yep. doing some incredible stuff in Joplin. And Randy was the the lead pastor there during that time. Yes, and he was there for like thirty plus years. Oh yeah, he, he incredible guy. Yeah. So if you're in the Joplin Springfield area, College Heights Christian Church is a phenomenal. Church, so man. now he is at Ozark. I forget his official title, but he basically just shepherds students. Yeah, so there's a pastor. I think he's maybe some kind of campus pastor there, which is just an incredible. He's just a wise sage, campus. is yep. what he is. Mm-hmm. So Parker, you're married. Married. Yeah. Uh, yep. Miss I, Lindsay, one of my wife's best friends. Yeah. How long? Uh, be eleven years in July. That's oh, coming up. Wow, Gosh. eleven years. 11 so you're years. on a crest over a decade. We're at eleven years as well, man. man for sure. It's wild. Um. How many kids? Three. Who would have three kids? Five and under. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you're it? soon to have four, from what I hear. No, sir. Uh-huh. I do not receive that in the Lord. Uh-huh. I do not receive that in the Lord. Three kids. What are their names? Charlotte, Samuel, and Rowan. Love it, man. Rowan Williams. And y'all's house is a blast. Our kids it is love insane. hanging out with your kids and all that good stuff, man. And so now, Parker, tell me where you're at, what you're doing. Your family has been um, in agriculture in this area for a number of years. I'm as far as we can tell, fifth or sixth generation in agriculture. Wow. From when this place around here was just swamplands. Yeah, we started over in northeast Arkansas. Very cool, man. Very cool. And so you've just graduated, and and tell us a little bit, um, to to our listeners, if you go on our podcast feed back um, a a few months, how many months ago was that? It's been about a year. Uh, Wow. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. So 12, um, if you go back Uh 12 months, um, there was an Antioch moment is the name of the podcast. Um, Westside, Parker was absolutely formidable in everything that's happened in Westside. Formidable or... Yes. Is that the word we're using? I think so. Okay. Uh, right. You were a part of the core group that came in there. A little bit of backstory. Um, I met you at a bonfire, and I'll never forget you had your dog who had mm-hmm. just gotten out of doggy school mm-hmm. or was getting ready to get sent off to like Navy SEALs. For, Navy for, SEALs for, for, for hunting it, it dogs. Was, yeah. If you know Parker, um, Parker doesn't have hobbies. He has obsessions. Yeah. And they rotate every two to three months. Uh, I'm stretching it out now. I get about a year. Before <laughs> about a year. Yeah, uh-huh. So if it's like coffee, what Parker's going to do is he's going to travel to Spain. 
<laughs> I have scars from my, my coffee obsession. Yes. True story. Parker had a brewery that looked like a chemist breaking bad beakers were moving. Mm. It was incredible. So I met Parker at a bonfire. Um, we became really, really good friends. Like I said, our families, our wives are really good friends. We were in a really close community group with a number of individuals at a very strategic time, I think, in all of our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our family had just started having kids. I was a student pastor at the church, and we were in this group. And, man, when I think about community, Mm. I I really think that we tapped into something special. Absolutely. It was a ton of fun. Um, We lived life together, and, man, we just formed this bond. And so when I went over to Westside, uh, this group just sort of, we individually, Courtney and I said, hey, we don't want you guys Mm -hmm. to come over with us. And (laughs) individually, everybody said, that's great, because we're going to come over with you. And so it ended up being this core group and this team that was absolutely essential to everything that's happened. And Parker was a board member, um, was our community group's director there. And a year ago, we sent you and your family out to Holy Cross Episcopal Church here in Popper Bluff. Historic church, man. So Parker, give us some background, man. How did you land at Holy Cross? What's this journey been like for you, this spiritual formation? I love hearing you talk about your formation journey, yeah. um, because I think it is much more um, common. And, and what I mean by that is, for me, I have like a Damascus road, mm-hmm. right? And um, But the more and more I, I pastor people, a Damascus road experience is the exception. Yep. It is not the rule. Right. Um, and especially people growing up in sort of a rural environment around here, it's a formation, it's a process, it's a yep. journey. And so take us back, man, of meeting Christ at First Baptist and then and then just getting formed and shaped in this. Yeah. So you you have a Damascus road experience. I have more of an Emmaus road experience, yes. so to say. Love right? it. Like so walking with Jesus slowly for a, for a lot of years and not realizing it was Jesus who was Love walking it. there with me. You know? So good, man. And so like you, you mentioned that that core group or what the community group that became a core group yep. like, i can't tell my story at any point without talking about that that's group. cool um there, so that was a major transition period in my life um from you know coming out of a season of bitterness and cynicism and all that and um about the church yes 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 sure. so i had that's that yeah so that's maybe getting a little ahead of some of the story but i spent a couple of years out of the church there after bible college here working and and, and just kind of isolating myself from folks and realized one day that, like, this isn't exactly a spiritual gift and this is not going to serve me well. Yeah, you know? that's good, though. That's I, huge, I, dude. I can nurture that cynicism all I want, and yeah. I will be right. Listen, I think that's massively important. I want to talk about that just because I think our generation and below, um, quite frankly, there's nothing positive about the, the cynicism mm-hmm. towards the church. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think being critical can be positive, mm-hmm. and the church is always reforming, right? That's a very famous phrase. But I love hearing you talk about, at some point, there was a commitment to the bride of Christ. Yep. Like, you, you can't—this idea of loving Jesus and not loving the church is incompatible. Yep. And so you really— almost the pendulum swung the other way. You were like, instead of being cynical, I'm going to throw myself into this. And yeah, tell us about that. It it was a long period of isolation and and nurturing that, um, that cynicism, meaning that I, you know, I was right. The churches were failing and not doing what, like you can always look at that and find that stuff and, and, and and legitimize it. And it was all true. Um, but that didn't serve me well, nor do I think it serves anybody well. It's good. Um, 
So it came to a point that I kind of started realizing this and uh, finally realized that if I was going to get healthy by any means, it was going to mean submitting to another group of people and throwing myself into a community, whatever that had to, whatever happened. I remember you saying one time in a sermon that um, we, you deconstruct to reconstruct, Mm -hmm. you know, and so... I think you went through that for you know that that phase of deconstructing of what's essential and what's not, and then you reconstructed yep. that aspect and um, served at Westside faithfully for a number of years. You were very impactful from preaching um, board uh, community groups. Talk about the aspect of your passions um, because we share the same convictions of like biblical literacy. Mm-hmm. When whenever I met with you, it was I think it was still or not Ryan Ruby, was it still Ruby Tuesday? Or was it Dexter Barbecue at the time? I think it was Dexter. Was it? What, ha, so. Had it turned? Anyway, I don't remember. I met with you because I was at that Man, crossroads. Hold of, on, Ruby Tuesday. I know, dude. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Get that salad bar, the cold plates, <laughs> yeah. the cold plates, right? man. But I met with you and was like, "Hey, I've got this option of going to this big mega church." Yeah. And, and you were like, "Listen, man, there's guys that go to seminary and don't come out with an opportunity like this." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I know." That's why I'm not going. <laughs> and I said, I think I'm going to do Westside. And the reason why is biblical literacy and biblical community, like, like real, real aspect. And and you said, man, if if that's if, it, if that's your vision, then then I'm on board. Why why is that? With through your deconstruction and mm-hmm. then reconstructing and finding, okay, these things are essential. Why were those things essential? Yeah, so growing up in Popper Bluff, as I said, right, grew up in the church here, and, uh, you know, it came to a point in my life to where I had kind of adopted an identity of, mm. um, of whatever that was in high school, and when I really kind of got serious about Jesus, I realized that I was going to have to get serious about Jesus or it was <laughs> not going to work out for me, so I left and went to Joplin. Yeah. Um, uh, and didn't have any kind of vocational goal there, just wanted yeah. to go learn about Jesus. Yeah. And uh, whereas a lot of folks there were preparing for ministry, I was just sure enjoying the ride. That's you cool, know? yeah, man. And so during that time, I really realized that um, those were the two things that I was really passionate about. I found Jesus after getting, in a new way, after getting kicked out of college mm-hmm. and coming back and learning to discipline myself in studies. Mm. And that meaning studying the scriptures yep. and, and what, what that uh, what that was... Big questions require big work. There you go. Yeah. And did some big work. And yeah, you then did. as well founded in community as I put myself around people that I knew um, had something that I wanted that whose lives I respected. Yeah. And so finding community in that way. And so that became a real passion for me. And so there was a big struggle there at the end of Bible college, uh, not knowing what direction to go because I you know, didn't have any kind of vocational aspiration sure. at that point. And was looking at seminary, didn't really think that was the time. Finally talked who now is my wife into uh, uh, giving me another shot, so to say. Yes. You know, I, I chased her through high school and little in college, and <laughs> as I say, she would have nothing to do with me. And then I, I started it. to get serious about somebody else. Uh, she showed up on my doorstep, so that was great. I so. always love when, whenever you ask Parker, hey, when did you and Lindsay start dating? And then when you ask Lindsay, hey, when did you and Parker start dating? It tends to be a different period oh, of time. Oh, yeah. No, we were dating long before she thought we were. <laughs> <laughs> like a decade or so. I love it. That's the best. But I want to go back <laughs> yep. to what you talked Biblical about. literacy and yes, community. Yes, and, and this idea of 
theology is meant to be practiced in community. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not an ivory tower. It's not an isolation. I think about Calvin and his preface of the Institutes, that he actually wrote that for the church mm. to be lived out in in community mm-hmm. in that aspect. And, and we said that there was a formidable group of people who were just in God's sovereignty, same seasons of life, and doing that. And in this season, you really tapped into... Um, sort of this early church mm, yep. aspect of things. Tell me a little bit about that. So that's where some of the community aspect and, and, and the literacy aspect came came into for me at that point in my life. Um, let me let me fast forward just a yeah. little bit on that last part. So the biblical literacy and community, I decided that if I was going to move back to Popper Bluff, it was going to have to do with those two things. And mm. I came back, and that's where I ended up getting frustrated and fell out, because one of the big things for me is, yeah, those two things are great, but if those are the end goals— then, I mean, what are we, a commentary or a, a right. social group, right? Yep. So uh, if that doesn't lead to some form of discipleship and falling deeper in love with Jesus, mm. it, it's all for naught. Yep. And so then when we started having that conversation That's later, good. that. But for me, I, f- I figured, I found that when I would read some of the earliest um, Christians, those who learned either firsthand or secondhand from the apostles themselves, yeah. that they wrestled with a lot of the same questions we do, if right. not all of the same questions. And had a little bit more access to those people who had walked with Jesus that um, may have had these conversations as well. Absolutely. And so Robert Weber, for instance, um, used to say, uh, the road to the future runs through the past. Mm. And for me, I found um, the answer to a lot of my struggles and questions and what I found in the church from people that had already wrestled with this yes. a few thousand years ago. That's good. And, yeah. and it was beautiful. And it really... Um, changed a lot of my perspective on the church and you know it gave me some answers but it also gave me more questions than yeah, anything else. But 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 I love that because I think we have to attach this to something, right? Mm-hmm. Our faith, church, we don't have you know, contrary to popular belief, we don't have to reinvent the wheel yep. on a lot of stuff. And 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 especially like authenticity mm-hmm. and common day issues. And so, you know, the cliche story is a student grows up going to their churches, you know, their small town church, and then they get into college and become, you know, quote unquote, secularized or or whatever like that. And the problem with that is, is because they were never discipled and shown, hey, these issues that the culture is raising, they've always raised these Mm -hmm. issues. And the church like you said, of the future runs through the road in the past, has answered these questions. And in this journey, um, I remember one night you led us through sort of a Eucharist ceremony. Mm. And in your theology, you you really started uncovering this beautiful aspect of of liturgy and, and Eucharist. Tell me about that. What what was compelling? Why why did you find those things just um, not being able to leave your heart and mind when you were studying this stuff? Yeah. So, it it it's centered around an, an interaction with Jesus and mm. an experience with the person of Jesus first and foremost. So, growing up, and especially if you've grown up in the evangelical church at all, like you know the worship movements have all been about, and so uh, in, in interacting with Jesus in some way, particularly through music and song, right? Yep. We're really big on our emotional experiences. Emotion. Right, right. Emotion, right? Yes. And fabricating that emotion and, and feeling like we've got to replicate that. Ramp often. it up every Ramp week. Up. Yep. And so in Bible college, um, uh, back in my undergraduate degree, I, I started 
seeing more and more what Jesus was saying about the way that he was present with us, mm. and then reading the the uh, the church fathers, like, they took that literally. Like, right. Jesus is actually working through the materiality of the world around us, right? That's, That's the basis of the incarnation. God came in flesh. He came in the ordinary, everyday, material world around us. So yes. God works in the world around us. That's or as good. the gravity guy says, God meets us in reality. Yes. Right? So if that is true, then what Jesus said about the reality where he meets us has to carry some weight. Yes. And the first place he said that, like, was, this is my body and my blood. Yeah. So there's something unique and special there when Jesus says, take this and do this, um, just like we're doing here, and like I'm with you in yes. some way. So and so Eucharist, if if our listeners aren't familiar with that word, what is that? Break that down. Eucharist for us. is it literally means Thanksgiving. Yep. So the word Eucharist is just a throwback to uh, the Last Supper, where Jesus it says he took bread and made Eucharist. He made thanks to God and yes. he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And it's not a memorial. It's not remembering just somebody right. who was dead. Well, or, we can get some ge- get geeky on some Greek words right. and find some, some cool stuff there. But yeah. No, do that about about remember. I'll never forget whenever you told me about that word and then Legos and stuff like that about when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. What, what does that mean whenever... Eucharist being the, the Lord's table, and so traditionally people listening to this would understand the Lord's Supper being once a month, mm-hmm. once every two years, or depending on the church you go to, and it's like, oh, Jesus died, I'm doing this to remember him, this is sweet, this is nice, but then in your studies, this thing opened up to you in a very real way. Yeah, so we want to approach that sometimes as if this is something that is... Um, uh, just not specified or just some kind of, you know, whatever your preference is. But yeah. when you really dig into it, like even at the basis of the language itself, the Greek language has two words for remember. It has the word nim- nimnos, which is literally like recollection, like I remember my prom or sure. whatever. You know? yep. And then there's the word anamnesis, which Ooh. is a whole different concept. Sounds like something from a Marvel movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or a bad disease. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, the way that concept, it pulls a little bit from uh, the Exodus story mm. um, and the way at least the early church understood that. Um, so when they would celebrate Passover um, in, in the text, and I forget exactly where it said this in the Old Testament, but you do this with your ancestors. So like when you celebrate Passover, you're literally just as if those Israelites were being led out of bondage in Egypt. You too are being led out of bondage wow. with them. And That's so good. Jesus takes this concept, and when he says, do this in anamnesis of me, he says, you know, you're recreating this time and this moment wow. where you're stepping into through the doors of history and time and participating with them and yeah. participating in the life of God. I remember you yeah. saying it was as if there was a tower of Legos, and you dismembered that tower, and then you put it back together. You remembered. You remembered yeah. that tower. So it's not passive, but right. it's participatory, participatory is what I'm hearing. Wow. The story of God is the story of him inviting his creation to participate in his life together, oh. all together, and all of what, creation. That's what we see from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. When he creates Adam and Eve, it's, hey, I've created this, but it's half done. Yep. I, I need you to work this. Yep. I need you to subdue this. Yep. I need you to, you know, have dominion yeah. and and do all of this. So so these things are driving your study um, and and your conviction and this relationship, like you said, mm-hmm. this renewed relationship with Jesus. So yeah, I I would read that and I would study that and I would come to a conclusion and be like, okay, 
something's going on here. And when I look around, I don't see that. Like mm. when I go to church on Sunday, I'm not, it, it's like, this is just something else that we do just anywhere else. I'm going to Starbucks and getting my sure. coffee. Right. Make, yeah. And so my first experience with a, a group that took that serious was first in the Christian church. I'll be honest like yeah. at, at Ozark. It was an incredible experience. But that was a group of students who were all studying it together. Right, yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. We're all, you know, and so I attended a Wednesday night Eucharist service at an Episcopal church and was blown away by the beauty and how stepping into the worship was stepping into a story that was bigger than me mm. and bigger than um, what I could bring to worship. Yeah. It was inviting me into something. And bigger. ancient prayers that have been ancient. prayed by saints for thousands yep. of years and everything. And that's, you know, I had a conviction of going into Westside, and and, and we hold this conviction. We we participate in, in Eucharist every Sunday. Mm-hmm. and But just being friends with you and then watching you and your studies Man, that has it has blessed me in that journey just to see it so much more, like you said, a participatory, mm-hmm. not this passive aspect of mm-hmm. that. And and when you were at Westside, man, you were walking in gifts and and um it was very evident that God had a call on your life. Um and and I believe a vocational call. Mm-hmm. And and talk to the people a little bit about what, what it was like in that journey of finding and molding that call of vocation. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things you said on that um, Antioch Sunday was, you know, oftentimes we don't know what that means mm-hmm. or what that looks like to form in that. So, so, so talk a little bit about fleshing out that, that vocational call and stepping in what God was calling yeah. you to. At this season in my life, it's taken me into uh, vocational ministry, but that hasn't always been the story, sure. right? Yeah, and that's not everybody's story, nor yep. should it be. Yep. But um, you know, when I was first thinking about going to seminary, uh, the president of the seminary, Todd Bolsinger, wrote an article, um, and the point of it was the nature of calling. When he said uh, sometimes uh, calling isn't so much found as it is formed, mm. and for me that was true, and it was formed through all, all kinds of experiences, but especially through Westside yeah. and what was going on then. And during that season, I learned the hard way most times yeah, is sure. to, to not be carrying a lot of anxiety for whatever God may want me to do and or where I mm. want to go in the future, but to simply be faithful in what was sitting right in front of me. Yeah. And that's a hard thing for somebody like me to Man, learn. I think what you said is very applicable to the people listening because that, that Bolsinger quote of that it's not so much found as it is formed. Mm-hmm. I think that is true. I mean, for somebody in their marriage, mm, for somebody who's gosh. parenting, that we really do think that if I read this Bible passage and pray and journal, man, this thing's just going to be like a neon sign. It's going to fall on my lap. But what I hear you saying is through ordinary acts of obedience, mm-hmm. of things like love each other and serve the church and bear one another's burdens, in those ordinary acts of obedience, we say this often, that the answer to the question was on the other side of obedience yep. for you. Man, and it wasn't just huge. that. It was that... I had to become a different person for that. Yeah, God was doing something in my life. I didn't realize what that was, but I wasn't yet ready to step into that. So my 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 competency had outrun my character, so to Oof. say. You know, and that's a that dangerous a place before. to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. so and so you're you're stepping in this, and and there are these giftings, and there are these positions, and you. I mean, I remember the conversation when you were like, "Man, I'm thinking about seminary mm-hmm. going in," and I was just like, "Absolutely." That's. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see that in your life. And 
And then there was a community of people in Popper Bluff um, at, at Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this church and just these relationships that you started forming with these people. Yeah, so right after we came back to Popper Bluff, I, I would visit there occasionally. And just it was just a curiosity about yeah. um, the way they walked with Jesus, you know, and I wanted to know a little bit more about that and got to know a lot of them well over there and would pop in as was as you know, was convenient, would help and do things here and there. And and then the rector, which is what they call their, their pastor, right? Sure. That's somebody that's in the church as the, the lead pastor, so to say. Yeah. Um, left for a sabbatical for a while, and she asked me to step in and preach for a summer. And yeah. do that. So I thought, oh, that sounds incredible. That sounds that's fun. fun. Yeah. That for a while. I got to know them a little bit. And then and then she just slowly roped me in a little bit over. Yeah. <laughs> so asked me in to serve on the vestry. They're bored. Yeah. So, so really quick to back up, people that are listening right now, uh, you know, people get one of the things that people get very confused about in Christianity is like denominations mm-hmm. and what does this mean? So tell us a little bit, just a quick recap, uh, you know, the Wikipedia page of Episcopal, sure. Anglican. What is that? So, right. So we have Jesus came in Israel. Right. I'm not right. That far <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> in the beginning. In the beginning. Yeah, right. So you fast forward to the Reformation, which is you hear, you know, Martin Luther, John Calvin, sure. these guys, and the, what they call the continent there, where uh, they start the Reformation, where they see these grievances in the Catholic Church that they they want to correct. They want to, to reform the, the, the Church of Christ. Because up until that point, you have kind of the Greek Orthodox, you have the Orthodox Church and you have... The Catholic Roman Church. Catholic Church, yeah. I mean, yeah, so there's not all these different sects, and right. I mean, this thing's pretty um, streamlined yep. up until this point. Okay. So during that time, over on, you know, England's an island off yep. a little bit, so they kind of have their own thing going on, and it started with King Henry VIII wanting to get rid of his wife, right? And you know that story. <laughs> this is true. But there was also Thomas Cramner, who had really been mm. influenced and fell in love with what Luther and Calvin were doing. And um, when that opportunity came, he jumped on it. And uh, so there was a, a, sec- a different kind of reformation going on in England, where instead of throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to say, they tried to reform the church there yeah. as some of and keeping some of that tradition and what they found so beautiful and keeping the important things that God had done for the first 1,500 years of the church. Correct. You know, while still uh, getting down to the core of it. So there was that, and that grew, and of course, the Church of England went through all kinds of craziness over the next 500 years. Sure. And eventually, as the English came to the United States, uh, their church came with them. Yes. And uh, then there was the, the, refer- the, the, the not the, refer- the, the revolution, right. where we left England. And yep. during that time, we realized that we couldn't, as a church, continue to pledge allegiance to the king. Right. So uh, the Episcopal Church was born. Wow. Um, Samuel Seabury, the first uh First bishop, um, who my middle son is named after. <laughs> oh, very cool, very cool. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that you said I think is really important, and oftentimes people studying, you know, the Reformation and the YouTube Calvinist or this, that, and the other, oftentimes people don't understand that Calvin and Luther and these guys didn't want a separate church. That's right. That was never their vision. That was never. They were very grieved, mm-hmm. especially at what was taking place. They still wanted that unity. That And a lot of people don't understand the word Catholic means universal. Mm-hmm. That's what their desire was. But you mentioned something that I know is very formidable, and I want you to talk about it, is Thomas Cramner and I and in Anglican and 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 the Episcopal faith, there is the Book of Common Prayer, mm-hmm. and so 
in your journey, one of the things you know with Eucharist was also prayer, mm. and mm-hmm. walking with Jesus and prayer is synonymous, right? Mm-hmm. These things are together. Tell us a little bit about your introduction to this book. What is this book, mm-hmm. and 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 what does it mean to you? Yeah. So the Book of Common Prayer is what directs the way we worship in mm. in the Anglican tradition. Um, and so throughout the history of the church, there have been there's I mean going all the back way back to the New Testament when Jesus told us to pray or when he we asked Jesus how to pray, he yep. didn't just say, well, just talk to him like he's your buddy, right? Whatever's on tell your mind, tell him how you feel. Tell him how you feel. No, right. he said he gave us a prayer to pray. Yes. And so what we understand from that principle is that prayer is the most formative aspect of our life. Um, and I, I don't draw a line between that and the Bible. Like mm. when we read the Bible, we pray through the Bible. Yes. And that's important. And that's basically what the Book of Common Prayer is. It's the, the, the Bible um, compiled for worship yeah. because it's just all Scripture. Because, and, 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 and you can speak to this, but it was Cramner along with guys like Calvin and Luther who were so burdened because uh, for our listeners, up until that point, one of the sayings was is that the Bible was sort of chained to the pulpit. So these services were in Latin. The common person didn't understand yeah. this. And these guys had a massive burden for the common person to have access to the book God had wrote. Yeah. And so Cramner is very burdened that the common person would get access mm-hmm. to to the scriptures. And yeah. so tell us a little bit about what, you know, what what is um, what is the book, just an overview of, of kind of what it is. When you talk about prayers and this, that, and the other, what is the Book of Common Prayer? Yeah, so um, leading up to the Reformation there, worship got very complicated in the Catholic Church. And so what started as something to keep people from stealing the Bible, where they would literally <laughs> chain it there, because yes. before the printing press, right? Yep. It became um, analogous to the rest of the way the worship was. Yeah. And so, you know, we say, uh, easy as pie. We say yeah. something like that. That was that was what, that was a kind of a knock during the Reformation about what the Catholic Church at the time tried to put together as an easy way to worship was the Book of Pi, which was not. You had to go with all these, you couldn't wow. figure it out, right? Yeah. So, so um, I'm totally lost where we're going. See, I run down a the historical book of common prayer. Trail. You're good. I yeah, love it. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so Cramner started putting together, and in the common language, um, the the structure and the prayers of of how we how we worship together mm. and structuring that a little from bit more the Bible for the Church of England. Yes. Not only yet, not only there, but through what the Church had done um, yes. throughout the world over the last fifteen hundred years. So he pulled from the East. He pulled from all over, and uh, and so really quickly. Kind of, I want our listeners to understand, we know, you know, let's say the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John, when they started these churches, the church in Ephesus or this, that, and the other, and their successors and their disciples, we know through history something like the Didache or something Mm -hmm. like that, how these early churches and their worship service was. I mean, you know, we don't have to guess at a lot of this stuff. And so what I hear you saying is that Cramner with a burden for the common person is incorporating um, all of these things, but he's also contextualizing. Oh, man. For the people in the present day for that. So in the Book of Common Prayer, it's not just what you do on Sunday, but it's also what you do throughout the week. Mm. So he gave them what we call the daily office. It's kind of like the daily discipline. Speak to that. That's so good, man. Yeah, so um, he took and he gave them what we do on Sunday in a real simple form, and he gave them how to how to read scripture and pray at home through the daily office. And he took that from the monastic communities that were still very influential yeah. um, at that time. Um, 
and kind of made it simplified and, and allowed people to, it's so it's a two, it's a two, it's a two edged sword. Right. right. Yeah. And so, and one of the things I know, you know, you've said this to me that that spoke to you just because in our relationship of walking with Jesus, there's sort of like, I don't want to say void, but this quiet time, mm-hmm. this thing of like, you just need to find, you know, whatever works for you or sort of this, that, and the other. How was this formidable for you yeah. as an individual? So for me at this point in life, I'd already been through Bible college. I had a degree in Bible. I'd been in the church for a while. I'd worked mm-hmm. in a number of churches and it was this, the, the feeling and the, what, what I kind of sensed was anytime you came to God, you had to manufacture some kind of something. Mm. You had to come up with what to say. You yeah. had to come up with the feeling. You had to do all this. And that. And became, if the feeling wasn't there, then you're not with God. You're not with God. Yes. That's right. And so Oof. that became a very oppressive burden for me. Yes. Like, I'm exhausted from life already, and now I got to come perform somewhere else. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not interested in that. That's so good. And so... You know, my, my heart language is selfishness, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just yeah. as all of us. Like, if I have to manufacture something like that, it's going to be about me. Yes. And, uh, and, and I'm messed up, and I don't even know me very well. Right. And so when I came and discovered um, the, like, some things like the Book of Common Prayer and the prayers in there, it was like a, a doorway was open to myself that all of a sudden, as they taught me to pray, I started seeing myself as well as seeing who mm, God was. That's so good. And man. so um, it gave me a new language to yeah. step into something. It was like the floodgates were opened. A wow. crowded movie theater of a lot of stuff. I've heard it said this way before. It's like a, a crowded movie theater and the doors are locked and everybody wants to get out. And that was what felt inside of me. Yeah. Like there was all this stuff that I didn't understand. And then when I discovered and started sitting and st- doing and steeping in some of these prayers. It's like you opened the doors and mm. all this stuff that I didn't know was in me started coming out. Wow. And yeah. What would you say to someone? Because I know, you know, one of the things um, I just heard Tim Keller on, on Kerry Newoff's podcast talk about what he sees as being the three sort of main false gospels that are infiltrating the church. So when we look mm. at the New Testament, you know, whether it's in Colossians and it's Gnosticism or something like this, one of the things he said was nationalism. Oh, man. Um, but the second one that he said was this radical individualism mm-hmm. of, you know, it's between, it's personal, it's me and the Lord, not submitting to a group of people to live your life with and everything. What would you say in a pastoral way to someone when they hit you with, well, you know, that's just me and the Lord, mm-hmm. and, and I can worship however I feel like I want to worship. Sure. And what works for me works for me, and what works for you works for you. How, yeah. how do you sort of handle that in a pastoral way? Yeah, there's a few ways to come about that. Yeah. One, we can look at it historically, and, you know, the Enlightenment was a good thing. Sure. You know, that tendency of individualism uh, created the West as, the Western world as we know it. Technology, medicine, things, everything. Right? Yeah. And it opened the door to saying, like, okay— People individually have value, mm-hmm. not just collectiveness or the the top people have sure. value. Like each of us individually are important, and the feelings and the desires that you have going on in you are important. However, anything anytime those lead us fully, that that's a another uh, tyrannical government, all yes, the same. Right. You know, so we're uh, the tyranny of our own desires. Because it's so funny because everybody believes and knows that individuals, or for the most part, that individuals are sinners. 
But for some reason, we detach the concept when sinners make a government or do like mm-hmm. that also means that that institution or that thing that they form is also broken. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, for sure. So, so, so if somebody's coming to you going, I'm doing this my way, what's good for you is good for you, this, that, and the other. How do you handle that pastorally? I say you're wrong. <laughs> yes. And, and then I get up and if I If you walk know Parker's up. personality, that's it. <laughs> and people who eight. know are listening so to this are laughing. Yeah, yes, yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah, you know, that's a tough one because you can't convince somebody of that by mm. just arguing with them on the outside. Yeah. And that's a, that's a whole lesson on its own that took me forever and um, yeah. to figure out. And so, you know, when if you were to meet with somebody like that, the best thing to do is just say, Okay, yeah, well, right. let's see how that goes. Sure. Well, I think one <laughs> yeah. of the things that you did very graciously with me, and then sometimes um, our personalities would come out in conversations, but I think you showed me, listen, th- th- the need is there. Mm. The need is there for spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. There, mm. It's not a question of... Bernard of Clairvaux said, anyone who makes... Um, himself a master to his own spiritual life is the master to a fool. <laughs> yes, right? That's what yeah. I said a few weeks ago, Augustine's famous quote of, if you read what you like in the Gospels and believe what you don't like, it's not the Gospels that you believe, but yourself. Mm-hmm. And and we do that in our own spiritual formation mm. when it comes to, well, I like this and this works for me, um, but but that over there I don't like. There's mm-hmm. got to be a level of submission and discipline and forming in that. And so let me say this. Remember, I'm the guy that came through the season of cynicism and bitterness and thought that I could nurture this, and by my own competency, mm. wrangle that down and figure it out and make it something that works for me, and that didn't work. Wow, right? that's good. That's and really good. So, yes, there are problems in the church. There are problems sure. in the history of the church. There are problems... You're not going to like this. Sometimes there are problems in the Bible that make us very sure. uncomfortable. Okay. Yes. Right. But yet, I believe through the experience that I have, and I know the experience that I've seen around me, yeah. something undeniable that Jesus is still at work. Yeah. And that sometimes it's the trusting and the nurturing and the gestation, just, I can never say that word, right. the yeah. gestation yes. of contemplating what we find intriguing about Jesus. That's good. And going after that and following that, yeah. um, that leads to something fruitful. That's and really so he good. tells us that that takes place in the ecclesia, the gathering, the, the people of God is who he really works yes. through. Yes. And, and one of the things that's helped me, um, and, and maybe even talking to a non-believer about this, um, is sort of You've mentioned this, but it's kind of like Wesley's quadrilateral. Mm. Like, how do we read the Bible, and and how do we have an answer to our faith? Mm-hmm. And he had those four things of logic, reason, tradition, mm-hmm. and then experience yep. as being that fourth one. So he was a good Anglican. That yeah. was a three-legged stool in the Anglican tradition. He added the fourth of the experience. And right? the and the experience. Yeah. And, and so I want to speak to that. Yeah, the experience is important, Mm -hmm. and it is a part of the leg that holds the stool, but it's not the only thing. Yep. So this is a very lopsided stool, right? Scripture, tradition, and reason. Right. That scripture one's a big leg. It's a bit (laughs) hefty. It's it's a hefty leg. Sure. And uh, even the reason, if you really get down and you 
look at the way that was first um, talked about by the folks that kind of started using this kind of language, reason isn't my own capacity to understand sure. something. It is the collective reason mm. of the church yes. and the collective reason of the world around us. So this goes as far as to say the consensus of science sure. is part of that stu- that leg of reason. Yes. Like that is all a means of truth, a yes. means of the way God, that we can discover things about God and his creation. And if you believe that the Bible and science or Christianity and science are opposed to one another, someone's lied to you. That's right. There's no battle. Absolutely. Guys, there's no battle. That's but so anyway. True. So experience. Uh, yes, experience. Experience is a, a, a leg off of that leg. Yes. Right? So not only my experience, but the experience of the people around me are valid experiences. Yeah. And so I have to take those things in a true way and, and explore what's going on there. Yeah. And so other people's experiences of God carry some kind of truth. That's good. Even if it's misunderstood, yep. even if there may be some uh, uh, something going else going on there, there is some truth there into other people's experiences. Well, we see this with Jesus's disciples, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Not every one of them interacted with him in a uniform way. Right. And even the way that he revealed himself post-resurrection, that's mm. probably one of the most beautiful things is mm-hmm. to see how he interacts and does that. So, so to circle back around in, in your story, you are um, building this relationship with this community of people, functioning in some roles um, at Westside, and then we start having conversations, yep. and it's very clear that there's a vocational call on your life. And so um, you enroll in seminary. Mm-hmm. And, that was right after Westside. We came to Westside. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I want you to talk about, because I know there's some guys who, who listen to this podcast who are pastors who are actually going to seminary and stuff like that. Um, what was seminary like? Tell me you know, the good stuff, the bad stuff, what was the most formidable? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. What was the takeaways? All of that type of stuff when it comes to seminary. That quote from Bolsinger really kind of sums up the last 50, well, all of my life, really. Yeah. But seminary was especially formative for mm-hmm. me. Um, you know, when I started seminary, we'd been at Westside just a little bit. Westside yeah. was like 30 people. Right. There, you yep. know, and I didn't have any kids. Right. <laughs> Life was so much simpler. Yes. And then now you have three. Now I have three human beings. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Little demons yes. is more what yes. depends on the day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So seminary for me, you know, I had a different experience with seminary than a lot of folks. Traditionally, seminary is the place you go for four years where you relocate and you go on campus and you immerse yourself in uh, academic study and yeah. formation. For me, that co- had had to. Uh, coincide, be another track along the life that I was already um, rooted in with work and family and church and everything else. So Fuller was an incredible institution for me in that sense, in that I could do it in a hybrid modality. Mm -hmm. I could go out there for a week when I needed to and and do intensives and come back and do most of it online. This was way pre-COVID, right? Right. So they kind of pioneered some of that for seminary. And... um, so it wasn't only the study where I got to be around some of the most premier theologians and academics around the world yeah. there through Fuller, um, but it was also some of the relationships you got to build and rub shoulders with and other people experience. And the thing about Fuller is they pull from a, a, a lot of different backgrounds. So yep. I wasn't just studying with Anglicans or sure. Presbyterians. I was studying with all kinds of people. Yeah. That was, a, that was an incredible experience. What was the most... Um what was the most challenging thing about seminary for is, you? Is figuring out how to handle life while also having those, sure, uh, you know, the the walk of seminary. It, yeah. it's the um, not sacrifice your family on the altar of it. The yeah. family or the church or my you know job, yep. which you know how to make all that work and yeah. 
props to my wife. Amen. Oh my gosh. Amen. In so many other ways as well. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Parker, what would you tell somebody who is considering seminary or this, that, and the other? What What would be a word of encouragement to them? Especially following the conversation we just had, this isn't a decision you make on your own. Yeah. And so when good. I first started thinking about it, I talked to you first because, yeah. you know, we were in relationship at the time. Yeah. Um, more closely than just about anybody else. And then I did a road trip and I went and hit up all the people in my, in, in my life who had really meant a lot to me and spoke to me and knew me well over the previous years and yeah. said, hey, this is something that I'm thinking about. I think God is up to this. Do you see that as what well? What do you think? Yeah. What am I missing? Yeah. And, you know, some of them had some real sharp things to say. They all affirmed it and yeah. said yes, and they said, but sure. here's something that you need to really keep in mind and focus on as wow. well. And, you know, so that was some, that was, that was incredible. Such a healthy thing to do, man. That's incredible. And this past week, it's official. It's official. You've, I'm done. Yes. Yep. Right, man. Right. That's incredible. Congratulations Thank on that, man. It. That's really cool. And so now um, Westside has sort of gathered around you guys and, and we sent you out to Holy Cross. Mm -hmm. And and tell just the people a little bit about that. What process are you in now mm -hmm. there at Holy Cross? What is your position and and what does the next couple of years look like? Sure. So I'm officially um, the official title is I'm currently parish administrator there. Yeah. So shortly after COVID, um, the rector, Reverend Annette Joseph, a wonderful woman, uh, she left and is now at Cape and Sykeston shepherding two different congregations yeah. there. And so I kind of came in more of an official role there right at the beginning of COVID, right, you know, right after things started really getting crazy right? and kind of helping them through some stuff and um, discerned along with her. And I mean, you, the whole family of Westside, this was a conversation that started at Westside first. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people. And, and so I did my own personal kind of discernment there with y'all. And then now I'm in the official process um, for ordination in the Episcopal Church, which is a long process. And yeah. the Scripture says, lay hands on no man hastily. Correct. And they take that serious. Amen. <laughs> Amen. As they should, for sure. And so I'm finishing up the initial first phase, which is discernment, which is a series of eight um, sessions with a group of people from the local community and one that is appointed from outside um, uh, to where we study the Bible together. It's a very structured approach. And then they dialogue with me and get to know me. And through looking at Scripture and hearing my story and my life, they will then this week write a recommendation to the bishop on what they wow. see. Yeah. And so this is the official, like, this is the... The, the letterhead signed yeah. and sealed. So this is something that I had kind of worked through with the community already, but this is their first phase. And man, the group of people that I have on my discernment committee are just incredible. So and, cool. You know, that's something that the Episcopal Church does well, is help people discern what God's up to in their life. And yes. so they do these discernment committees. You don't have to be thinking about going to be a priest. Like, yes. you don't know what your next season of life is like. Let's put together a group of people and walk along with you for a while mm. and look at the Bible and look at your life, and let's see if we can figure this out together. Man, I think that's something that I just want to say. I think that our listeners should be doing in their everyday life. Absolutely. That's what community is, right? And so if you're listening to this and you're in a season of life of wanting to get married, wanting to have kids, this, that, or the other, to have a group of people around you, not, you know, man, a lot of times what community is portrayed to be in church is like that accountability partner. Yeah. And let's get all up in your Kool-Aid oh, and you better not, that. you better not sin, sin, sin and, and all of this stuff. 
what I hear you saying is these people are in my life affirming me, yeah. cheering me on, right. saying we do see God's call in your life. This is the direction, and we are going to be on the journey with you. That's right. Yeah. Man, that is, that's community. That is. That's huge, absolutely. man. So I've been blown away with that, uh, doing that with that group of people. That's been, beautiful. And, you know, it's very structured. Yeah. But the structure sometimes is what we need. To, absolutely. To, for, especially in seasons that aren't real clear. For sure. Amen. Amen. And so now they're... they're Report will go to the bishop and the commission on ministry, and they'll review it and do a series of interviews with me, which I already know them well now sure. at this point and been working with them for a little bit. And so, um, God willing, and the creek don't rise, they'll uh, they'll uh, affirm that as well, and it'll be the first phase of postulancy, which yeah. postul- postulancy is the official formation period for um, the or for the for holy orders. Wow, that's incredible. And so tell me a little bit about how is Holy Cross meeting some needs in Popper Bluff? I mean, um, you know, our listeners know very well, I firmly believe that there is no plan B for mm-hmm. the gospel, that, that God's plan is the local church. And I am not of the stream where people are like, we don't need another church. No, no, no. We need a thousand more churches that are preaching the gospel, loving the community, and making disciples. Yeah. We need a thousand more of them. So so how is um, Holy Cross, what's the vision, and, and how are they living that out here in Popper Bluff? Yeah, so Holy Cross is the oldest, let me get this right, the oldest church in Butler County that has the same congregation worshiping it since they were started. So the the building was built in 1901, and we've been here for a long time downtown. And actually, it wasn't... Holy Cross didn't start by somebody somewhere else saying, we need a church down there, let's go... This started by a group of women, yeah, um, the St. Margaret's Guild, oh. that actually predates the church by I don't know how long, Wow, that they got together and started worshiping together and wanted wanted to see the gospel spread in Popper Bluff. Wow. So they said, and finally the bishop said, Bishop hey, Tuttle, right? Bishop Tuttle, oh, one of my heroes. Legend, yep. legend. Said, yeah, something's going on there. Uh, y'all need a church. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, perfect. So they started that, and so Popper, uh, Holy Cross has been in downtown Popper Bluff since 1901, officially doing. Some and it things. is an asset to the community. It and is. and what I mean by that is even just structurally, mm-hmm. it is a beautiful building. The tell the people about sort of the historic chapel and the mural oh, and everything. Yeah. yeah. So one thing we take serious is is art in yeah. the Anglican tradition, and uh, because God and is the greatest things. creator. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So like when you first walk into the historic church, there is a triptych there that was painted by uh, a Nybert. If you know, wow. if you've been in Power Bluff, yep. you know the Nybert name. And it's a beautiful picture um, from a, a, a Italian painting um, from the 16th century that's right there that she painted herself. Um, and then you go to the right a little bit and there's what we call the columbarium, which mm. is where a number of our long-term residents are housed, right? So we've got some uh, where uh, previous uh, for parishioners over the past are are buried. Yes. And they're in the church, and then the historic church there is just beautiful. Because for our listeners, historically, when you see these older churches out on a country road, and there's a cemetery, and you walk through the cemetery to get to the church, that is a scriptural concept that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right. and that you walk into this gathering remembering remembering that it didn't start with me and it's not going to end with me. And it doesn't depend on me. Yes. Amen, man. Amen. And so what are some of the ministries that um, Holy Cross has to the community? So COVID has been both, obviously, as with everybody, a major challenge for our community as well as a blessing. We were able to uh, do some fast forward and do some real thing, great things real quick as a result of the the crisis that was COVID. Yeah. And so... um, 
we're online. It was a big move. It's mostly an older congregation. So most of what we're doing right now and has have been doing through COVID is figuring out ways to, to get some of our 80-year-old parishioners to figure out how to use a computer. Log into Facebook. <laughs> yeah, right. Granny's so, getting a Facebook. Right? Yes. And so that's been one of the big focuses I've had over the yeah. last year, which has been wonderful. They've, they've, oh my gosh, I can't imagine having to completely relearn how you do right. all that for doing this. I think our morning. generation looks at it wrong. We're like, get on board this, that, and the other. But man, looking at someone that age who has lived through so much and them having to relearn some of these things relearn all of it. is yeah. incredibly humbling yeah. when it comes to that, man. Um, so they're great group of folks that understood the challenge and, and that we had to adjust some things in order for our own safety and caring for our neighbor. Um, one of the big things that they've been doing for a long time is a food pantry every Love Wednesday. Uh, every Wednesday from 1 to 3, anybody in the area can come and get a bag of groceries. And Beautiful. the folks that run that have an incredible heart and and run a tight ship. Amen. That's incredible. Parker, where but, can people, um, do you guys do a, uh, a, a live stream? Where, where, hey, can, on, where can people see what God's doing at Holy Cross? We're on all of it. You can catch us uh, Sundays at 930, obviously, in the building. We're open now. Awesome. And, uh, Facebook, YouTube. We've got a podcast. We're on Love Instagram. It. And so, and so just type in Holy Cross Popper Bluff and HolyCrossPB.org or Love hit it. any of the other stuff there. Fantastic. Parker, thanks so you much for coming me off. in. And chat. I mean, I'm, You've got to do it. I'm going on Rogan next week, and <laughs> we're going for four hours. I and love you're it. Cut me off now? All yeah, right. I love it. Parker, what's one thing that you could um, encourage the people that listen? Obviously, are Christians. They're walking with Jesus. Some people might not be, but a majority of our people are West Side people and, and, and Christians. What's something that you could do to just encourage somebody in the Lord right now? now what what would you say to them who's walking with Jesus amidst the chaos of this world mm-hmm. 2021 everything that's going on what is uh what's the good word you know for the last couple of years since um we started with gravity leadership is another conversation yes. that we've had with the folks here yes. um i've been really paying attention or trying to learn to pay attention where god is at work in the reality around me mm. and so what is going on around you? God is present and at work in that moment. Yes. And if we learn to pay attention, there is no fear there. Mm. And, you know, Even though it's scary stepping in and yes. taking it for real what God may be doing or what may be going on around us, that is where God will ultimately meet us. Amen. That's, yep. That is a word that we need amidst all the chaos. Absolutely. Parker, thanks so much for coming in, man. Thanks, man. We love you, love your family, and looking forward to seeing what God does in the future there at Holy Cross. I'm going to ask about this hair. <laughs> Parker's going to get a petition for the city of I Popper am. Bluff, That's for right. sure. Hey, guys, thanks so much for listening in. Um, if you want to check out more, you can go to westsidepb.org. Again, just to remind you, there was no podcast from this Sunday, but you can go to our Facebook page. You can watch that live stream. This Sunday is our final sermon in the series. The Bible doesn't say that. And it's um, a ton of fun. And so you can log on and check out to our live stream. We have one service in the summer at 10 a.m. And if you have any questions or if you want a question answered on this podcast, it can be a Bible question, it can be a question about the sermon, or it can be a question about about Parker's sketchy past, mm-hmm. just send in an email at info at westsidepb.org and we'll be sure to put all of Parker's information on Front Street. So, <laughs> hey guys, we love you. Thanks for listening in and don't ever forget that it is all about Jesus. Blessings. Blessings.